0: Ezekiel chapter 25, verses 8 through 17. Ezekiel 25, verses 8 through 17. It says, Thus says the Lord God, Because Moab and Seir said, Behold, the house of Judah is like all the other nations. Therefore I will lay open the flank of Moab from the cities, from its cities on its frontier, the glory of the country, Beth-Jeshemoth, Baal-Meon, and Kirjathaim, I will give it along with the Ammonites to the people of the east, as a possession, that the Ammonites may be remembered no more among the nations, and I will execute judgments upon Moab, then they will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because Edom acted revengefully against the house of Judah and has grievously offended in taking vengeance on them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off from it man and beast, and I will make it desolate. From Teman even to Dedan they shall fall by the sword." And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by the hand of my people Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. And they shall know my vengeance, declares the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines acted revengefully and took vengeance with malice of soul to destroy a never ending enmity. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines and I will cut off the Karathites and destroy the rest of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. We probably won't have time tonight to get to those verses, the last part, verses 15 and following, when the judgment on Philistia. But we're going to look tonight mainly at the judgments coming on Moab and Edom. And we see that in, God's, in these verses, God's promise of judgment on Moab, Edom, and Philistia. But we learned last week how the Moabites became a nation. Do you remember how the Moabites became a nation? Well, incest. incest. Exactly. That that's the same thing. The same thing as the as their brother, the Ammonites, uh, the, the, and so on. Actually, or cousins, if you will. The Ammonites became a nation as well with the incest with Lot and his daughters. Now, if you notice, though, in verse eight, this prophecy includes Seir. It says, "Thus says the Lord God: Because Moab and Seir said." Seir, by the way, is in Edom. So we're not going to deal too much with Seir just now because they'll be covered in the judgment on Edom. Seir, Mount Seir is in Edom. But I'm going to just show you a couple of passages that kind of illustrate that. So you'll be with me on that. Go to uh, Genesis 32. In Genesis chapter 32, look at verses 1 through 1, 2 and 3. It says, Jacob went on his way and the angel of God, angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So here the scripture shows us that Seir is in Edom. All right. You're in Genesis 32. Jump over to Genesis 36. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, these are the sons of of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, and Dishon, Ezer, and Deshan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. So here again, we see Seir is a man's name, and he was a Horite, and he had a bunch of sons, and they were all chiefs. Jump down to verses 29 through 30. It says, these are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs of chiefs, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ana, Dishon, Ezer, and Dishon. And these are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief, in the land of Seir. So I just want you to see that. when Go back to Exodus 25. When you see it says, thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir said, behold, the house of, of Judah is all like all the other nations. He's making a statement there that Moab and Seir are, are going to be judged because of their actions. Seir is in the land of Edom. All right? Now, um, did I say Exodus? I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 25. All right. Now both Moab and Seir are going to be judged for how they treated Israel's destruction. This is a reaction. This is God going to be said, I'm going to be judging you because of how you acted when I judged Israel and brought them into captivity in Babylon and destroyed the city. Because of how you acted when that happened, I'm going to be bringing judgment on you. They 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 celebrated, but they mainly, as you see in verse uh, verse eight here, they said the house of Judah is like all the other nations. In other words, they they started saying, the Israelites are not a special people. They have no privileged position before God. When God brought judgment on them because of their sin, the reaction of the Moabites and the Edomites were, well, see, they're not special. And if you remember, when Moses was being used of God to bring the Israelites out of Egypt into the desert and God got angry with the Israelites and he said, get out of the way, Moses, I'm going to wipe them all out. And Moses said, that wouldn't look good for you because then the other nations would say, you started to bring them out, but you weren't able to finish it. That reaction is now happening as God is judging the nation of Israel. He, he then... The people said, see, they're not a special people. They don't have a privileged position before their God. They're just like all the other nations. They're being judged as well. And God said, because you said that, because that was your heart's reaction, I'm going to bring a judgment on you. It reminds me, actually, of the end of the book of Job. If you remember in the book of Job, what happened was uh, Job's friends come and they're quiet for a while with him, giving him comfort. But then they start spending the rest of the book telling him how he's being judged because of his sin. And at the end of the book, God says to those three friends, because you said what was wrong about me. In other words, you thought you knew what I was doing and you made a judgment call and you were wrong. Folks, I'm just going to say to you, be careful. When people go through stuff, it's very easy for us to assume that we know why God's doing what he's doing in their life and make judgment calls about that. Sometimes people go through stuff because of the judgment for their sin, the consequences of their sin. Sometimes they go through stuff and it's not tied to sin at all. You know the Bible teaches that. And so be very, very careful of being someone of those people who's quick to judgment when you see someone else go through a trial. Don't be quick to judgment. You may not know what God is doing. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 and following says... Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, his paths beyond finding or tracing out. You don't always know what God's doing. Don't think you do. And there's a tendency with some of us as Christians to get a little self-righteous and preachy sometimes and act like we know why God's doing what he's doing. Take it from a guy who's going through a trial. I don't know why. Oh, I can see some things that are coming out of it and God is showing me things through it. But I can tell you that's not why. And at the same time, I can't tell you how it's all going to play out. But would we be right in any assessment of, well, let's just say that the cancer takes my life. Are we going to say, well, God was judging Jim. We don't know. We don't know. You don't know. I may look good for you right. I may look good for you right now up here in the front, but you know, he may be dealing with me. The Bible says there is consequences, physical consequences for persistent sin. So that so, yeah. Exactly. You don't know. <laughs> so that's, the, I guess, what I want you to see. But at the same time, I can look you in the eye and tell you, trust me, we, we've done the sin checklist. <laughs> this will make you double check, make sure you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do. But at the same time. I just want to challenge you. These people are being judged because of their wrong judgments. When God did what he did, they assumed they knew what God was doing, and they didn't. Be careful. They also rejoiced over the Babylonians destroying Jerusalem. And God said he's going to give them over to the Babylonians, just like he would the Ammonites. And we saw, if you go back here, take a look again. Because you said... The house of, behold, the house of Judah is like all the other nations. Therefore, I will lay open the flanks of Moab from the cities, from its cities on its frontier of the glory of it, the country. And then it names those cities, which I'm not going to try to name again because they make my tongue hurt. <laughs> I will give it along with the Ammonites, we saw them last week, to the people of the east as a possession. Who are the people of the east? The Babylonians. Remember, the Babylonians that we saw last week were going to come and, 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 and assume the land of, of Ammon. And now I'm going to give this also to the, the, the Moabite land, to the people of the east, which is the Babylonians. As you're going to see, though, later on in our, ju- in, in our reading of the judgment, there's more to it than them just being assumed by the Babylonians. By the way, that happened in 582, 581 B.C. Remember that 586 is when the final judgment of Jerusalem happened. Just a few years later, the Babylonians came and took over the Moabite land. And the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Edomites have all been just assumed by all the rest of the Arab nations. Do you know any Ammonites? Do you know any Moabites? Do you know any Edomites? Listen closely. The scripture says in the millennial kingdom, there's going to be the restoration of the Ammonites and there's going to be a restoration of the Moabites. There won't be a restoration of the Edomites, the Bible says. But there still are somewhere, somehow, God knows where they are. There are still Ammonites. There are still Moabites. But as a nation, do they exist? No, haven't for a long time since when God said, you're just going to be taken over by the Babylonians. After that point, they just pretty much ceased being a nation. That's what's also very exciting about the Israelites. Think about that for a minute, folks. Think about how the nations of the earth have tried to annihilate them and wipe them off the face of the earth, yet they still remain a people and a nation. It'd be one thing if they were just a people, but the fact that they're back in their land and a nation again, after so many years of being out of the land, how in the world? Ah, God. God is the answer. God is the answer. Just like Ezekiel's prophecy against the Ammonites was not the only one, so too did God speak through other prophets about the coming judgment on Moab. Go to Jeremiah chapter 48. And you say, what verses? I'll say, yes. Yes. We're going to read chapter 48. Chapter 48 of Jeremiah, starting verse 1, concerning Moab. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Woe to Nebo, for it is laid waste. Kiriathame is put to shame, it is taken. The fortress is put to shame and broken down. The renown of Moab is no more. In Heshbon they planned disaster against her. Come, let us cut her off from being a nation. You also, O madmen, shall be brought to silence. The sword shall pursue you. A voice, a cry from name, Those are those names that we saw earlier in Ezekiel, of name, Desolation and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have made a cry. For at the ascent of Luhith they go up weeping. For at the descent of name they have heard the distressed cry of destruction. Flee, save yourselves. You will be like a juniper in the desert. For because you trusted in your works and your treasures, you also shall be taken. And Chemosh shall go into exile. That's the false god. Chemosh, what they used to burn their babies to. And with his priests and his officials, the destroyer shall come upon every city and no city shall escape. Valley shall perish and the plain shall be destroyed as the Lord has spoken. By the way, did that happen in the Babylonian invasion? No, the Babylonians came in and just took over their land. It wasn't destroyed. What we're seeing here is a prophecy that's still yet to be fulfilled. Give wings to Moab, for she would fly away. Her city shall become a desolation with no inhabitant in them. Cursed is he who does the work of the Lord with slackness, and cursed is he who keeps back his sword from bloodshed. That's an interesting statement here in this prophecy, as God's saying, I'm going to use these nations to judge Moab, and cursed is the nations that are the nations that I use who don't do a full job of killing them. Wow. Moab has been at ease from his youth, and he has settled on his dregs, He has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, nor has he gone into exile. So his taste remains in him and his scent is not changed. That's another message for another time. You want to talk about a fun passage to preach from for a preacher. That passage there about how when we have life that's at ease and no real trouble, we get kind of lazy. We get kind of complacent. And sometimes as some of you older folks in the room take medicine and it says on the medicine, shake before using God does that. That'd be a fun sermon title right there. Shake before using. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall send to him pourers who will pour him and empty his vessels and break his jars in pieces. Then Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh, and the house of Israel, as the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How do you say we are heroes and mighty men of war? The destroyer of Moab and his cities has come up, and the choices of his young men have gone down to slaughter, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. The calamity of Moab is near at hand, and his affliction hastens swiftly. Grieve for him, all you who are around him, and all who know his name. Say how the mighty scepter is broken, the glorious staff. Come down from your glory and sit on the parched ground, O inhabitant of Debon. The, for the destroyer of Moab has come up against you. He has destroyed your strongholds. Stand by the way and watch, O inhabitant of Aurora. Ask him who flees and her who escapes. Say, what has happened? Moab is put to shame for it is broken. Wail and cry. Tell it beside the Arnon. That's the river Arnon where they were, that's where the Moab was. That Moab is laid waste. Judgment has come upon the table land, upon Holon and Jahaz and Mep- Mephah, Mephah and Debon and Nebo and Boy, that's a good one there. Beth Diblethame and Kiriathame and Beth Gamel and Beth Meon and Kiriath and Basra. We know Basra. And all the cities of the land of Moab far and near the horn of Moab is cut off and his arm is broken, declares the Lord. Make him drunk because he magnified himself against the Lord so that Moab shall wallow in his vomit and he too shall be held in derision. Was not Israel a derision to you? Was he found among thieves that whenever you spoke of him you wagged your head? Leave the cities and dwell in the rock, O inhabitants of Moab. Be like the dove that nests in the sides of the mouth of a gorge. We have heard of the pride of Moab. He is very proud of his loftiness, his pride and his arrogance, and the haughtiness of his heart. I know his insolence, declares the Lord. His boasts are false, his deeds are false. Therefore I wail for Moab. I cry out for all Moab, for the men of Kirahashath, I mourn. More than for Jazzer, I weep for you, O vine of Sibma. Your branches, pa- branches passed over the sea. Reach to the sea of Jazer. On your summer fruits and your grapes, the destroyer has fallen. Gladness and joy have been taken away from the fruitful land of Moab. I have made the wine cease from the wine presses. No one treads them with shouts of joy. The shouting is not the shout of joy. From the outcry at Heshbon, even at to Elia. As far as Jahaz, they utter their voice from Zoar to Horonam to Eglish though for the waters of Nimrim also have become desolate. And I will bring to an end in Moab, declares the Lord, him who offers the sacrifice in the high place and makes offerings to his God. Therefore my heart moans for Moab like a flute, and my heart moans like a flute for the men of Kiriahasheth. Therefore their, they, the riches they gained have perished. For every head is shaved and every beard cut off. Oh, on all the hands are gashes, and around the waists is sackcloth. On all the housetops of Moab and in the squares there is nothing but lamentation. For I have broken Moab like a vessel for which no one cares, declares the Lord. How it is broken, how they wail, how Moab has turned his back in shame. So Moab has become a derision and a horror to all that are around him. For thus says the Lord, Behold, one shall fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Moab. The city shall be taken and the stronghold seized. The heart of the warriors of Moab shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Moab shall be destroyed to be no longer a people because he magnified himself against the Lord. It wasn't really that they were talking against the people of Israel. But when they talked against the people of Israel, who were they really talking against? God himself. Terror, pit and snare are before you, O inhabitant of Moab, declares the Lord. He who flees from the terror shall fall into the pit and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For I will bring these things upon Moab for the the year of their punishment declares the Lord. In the shadow of Heshbon fugitives stop without strength for fire came out from Heshbon flame from the house of Sihon. It has destroyed the forehead of Moab, the crown of the sons of Tumult. Woe to you, O Moab, the people of Chemosh are undone. For your sons have been taken captive and your daughters into, tact, into captivity. Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days, declares the Lord. Thus far as the judgment on Moab. Isn't it amazing that in the prophecy of Jeremiah, the prophet of God, a whole chapter is on the judgment to come on Moab. Now. We could look at that and say, boy, God was really mad at Moab. He took a whole chapter to talk about how he was going to destroy them. I see it a different way. I don't know if you caught it, but in verses 37 and following, you see that actually, no, verses 35 and following, God was moaning and lamenting that he had to judge them. The reason God gives such a long passage of warning to Moab and judgment on Moab is he cares for the people of Moab and he wants them to repent. He knows the judgment is coming, but this is also a warning so that anybody in that nation that hears will re- can repent and respond. Does God take any pleasure in the death of the wicked? No, Ezekiel showed us that. He does not. Go to Amos chapter 2. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Thus says the Lord for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. By the way, I don't know if you caught that. It's one thing to kill somebody. It's another thing to then burn their bones down to lime. There's a vengeance that's more than just putting them to death. Now I'm really going to give it. You know what I'm saying? They were a vengeful people. They burned uh, to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kerioth. And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and it will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Go to Isaiah chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 1 through chapter 16, verse 14. An oracle concerning Moab, because Ar of Moab is laid waste in, in a night, Moab is undone. Because Kir of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple to Dihon, sorry, to Debon, to the high places to weep over Nebo and over Mediba. Moab wails, on every head is baldness, every beard is shorn. In the streets they wear sackcloth, on the housetops and in the squares, everyone wails and melts in tears. "'Heshbon and Elia cry out. Their voice is heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles. My heart cries out for Moab. Her fugitives flee to Zoar, to Egleth Sheleishiah. For all the ascent of Luhith, they go up to weeping on the road to Horonam. They raise a cry of destruction. The waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered and the vegetation fails and the greenery is no more.' Therefore, the abundance they have gained, and what have they laid up, they carry away over the brook of the willows. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches Eglam, her wailing reaches to bear Elam. For the waters of Debon are full of blood, for I'll bring upon Debon even more a lion for those of Moab who escape for the remnant of the land. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah by the way of the desert to the mount of the daughter of Zion. We'll come back to that. That's pretty interesting there. I'm going to read it to you again. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah, by the way of the desert, to the mount of the daughter of Zion. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of the noon. Shelter the outcast; do not reveal the fugitive, let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer, when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased, and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. Let everyone wail, mourn utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of Kirihasheth. For the fields of Heshbon languish, and the vine of Sidma, the lords of the nations, have struck down its branches, which reached to Jazer and sta- strayed to the desert. Its shoots spread abroad and passed over the sea. Therefore I weep with the weeping of Jazer for the vine of Sibma. I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and El-Eleah. O for over your summer fruit and your harvest the shout has ceased, and joy and gladness are taken away from the fruitful field. And in the vineyards no songs are sung, no cheers are raised, no treader treads out wine in the presses. I have put an end to the shouting. Therefore, my inner parts moan like a lyre for Moab. There again, we see God moaning over the, the judgment that's coming on them in my inmost self for Kirihasheth. And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary, sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. This is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, in three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt in spite of all his great multitude, and those who remain will be very be very few and feeble. Now, look again at verse 12, 13 of chapter 16. This is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past. You could read that in this translation and say that that means all those judgments are about what had happened in the past. No, that in the past should be better translated. These are the words of uh, that Lord spoke concerning Moab, that He spoke earlier. In other words, these are all the words that God had said earlier about what is coming on Moab. But then, at that point, He says, in three years from the time that that prophecy of Isaiah happened, they are going to be judged, and that's when the i am sorry—the Assyrians began attacking them. The Moabites actually were attacked by Assyria first, and there's prophecies that showed that they would be. Spared a little bit, but then the Babylonians came and they weren't spared. But I want you to see that it's very clear that this prophecy of chapter 15 and 16, especially major parts of it, we're not talking about things that happened in the past to Moab, but things that are still yet future. Look again at chapter 16, verse 1. Send the Lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah by way of the desert to the mount of the daughter of Zion. So the Lamb, by the way, is not Jesus yet. I'll get to that in just a second. But where is this lamb supposed to end up? According to verse 1 of chapter 16. To the Mount of Zion, which is where? Jerusalem. Go with me back to 2 Kings chapter 3. Again, hopefully over these weeks and months and years of studying the scriptures together, we'll start to realize that it all ties together. As you're about to see in chapter 3 of, of 2 Kings, verses 4 through 6, Moab used to give lambs as a tribute to the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. Look at chapter 3, verse 4. Now Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he had to deliver to the king of Israel 100,000 lambs, and the wool of a 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel, so King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at, at that time and mustered all Israel. So we see that back during the time of King Ahab, when he was king of Israel, the Moabite king used to give a tribute for peace to the king of the northern kingdom at that time, the king of Israel. And what was this tribute? 100,000 lambs. This is... Hinting at that. In other words, you remember when you used to have to give a tribute lamb? Some of your translations, by the way, if you have a new King James, they might say tribute lamb. And if you'll notice tributes in in italics, if you notice tributes in italics, because that word's not there in the actual original text, but it's kind of give you a picture. They were to give a tribute lamb for peace. I think there's a picture here, a hint to Jesus, the lamb coming. And the Moabites are going to be tied to Jesus. Remember, they're at the end of the tribulation period, during the millennial kingdom, God's going to restore the fortunes of the Moabites? Look closely at verses 2 and following and listen to the judgment that's going to be coming on Moab at the end of the tribulation period and how the Jews are supposed to respond. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night. At the height of noon, shelter the outcast. Do not reveal the fugitive. In other words, the ones that are running in the judgment that are seeking refuge. Don't give them away. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love. And on it will sit in faithfulness in the tents of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Guess who that is? That's Jesus when he sets up his millennial kingdom. We don't have time to get there. But, folks, let me just say to you, as we, whenever we get to that section of Ezekiel, and we start looking at the millennial kingdom and the distribution of the land to the nation of Israel and the tribes and all the places they're going to get and the parcels of land. So is right now the land of Israel is just a small, small portion of what had God promised Israel ultimately. And when that day comes and Israel, they the millennial kingdom, is, their fortunes are restored and they get everything that God had promised them. And by the way, even in their heyday, they didn't get all that God had promised them. When they do, they're going to be inhabiting Jordan, parts of Saudi Arabia, the area we know now is Philistia, but that's now, might just jumped out of my brain. It'll come back to me. Well, that's Philistia is what it was called, but who's living there now? Uh, keep going north. No, not Lebanon. Thank you. The Lebanon. That whole area is going to be given to the Jews. And so in the land of Moab, when the judgment comes on Moab, the Jews are told, the ones who are seeking refuge when this comes, rescue, spare them, take them in, hide them, because they're going to be added in to that group of people that worships the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, ma'am? Sure. An opportunity, possibility, or whatever, that instead of going to Petra, the Jews during the tribulation actually flee to Loath because Jordan is not, Jordan is spared. Well, and again, people have been saying Petra because it's in Moab. It's in that area. Right. So We don't know. But there's supposedly a duplication of the um, temple in the land of Jordan. Again, couldn't tell you. But Jordan, if you do a study of the map, and actually was doing that with Tony Kessinger last night as we were kind of wrestling over this, uh, we came to realize that where where Jordan's boundary is now, Moab carried over into Saudi Arabia a little bit more back in that day. So, you know, but so, a lot of prophecy people like to say it's Petra that they run to, but we don't know. But we know it's in the land of Moab in the area of Basra, wherever that was. That's where they're going to run. All right. Now. When Ezekiel says that the Moabites and the Ammonites will be remembered no more among the nations, he's not saying that we'll ne- they'll never again be a Moabite. Back in, go back to Ezekiel 25 and you'll see in verse uh, 10. I will give it along with the Ammonites to the people of the east as a possession that the Ammonites may be remembered no more among the nations. And I will execute judgments on Moab, then they'll know that I'm the Lord. By the way, do the Moabites know that he's the Lord yet? No, so it hasn't happened yet. When Ezekiel says that the Moabites and the Ammonites will be remembered no more among the nations, he's not saying that there will never again be a Moabite or an Ammonite, but that these nations would be absorbed by the surrounding Arab nations as they are today. Remember, Ruth was a Moabite. You all remember that? Ruth was a Moabite. Go to Jeremiah chapter 48. And, well, actually, we're not going to do that. I'll just say them to you fast because I want to keep moving. Jeremiah 48 verse 7 said that the Moabites in the latter days, Moabites will be restored. The, the, the fortunes of Moabites will be restored. And in Jeremiah 49 verse 6, it says that the, the fortunes of the latter days, the fortunes of the Ammonites will be restored. So there's still going to have to be an Ammonite and a Moabite for their fortunes to be restored. But they've been absorbed, just like I said earlier, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, they've all been absorbed into the nations right now. But the Jews haven't been. Now, next Ezekiel prophesies about Edom's judgment. In verses 12 through 14, we see a prophecy about Edom's judgment. Edom was Esau's descendants. I don't know if you know that or not or remember that. We already saw that Seir was in Edom. But Edom actually is referring to the descendants of Esau. Remember the twin brothers Jacob and Esau? Edom actually is referring to Esau's descendants. Let me show you what. Go to Genesis 36. Genesis 36, verse 1, and then verses 6 through 8. It says, these are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. So when we see the Edomites, we're talking about Jacob's brother, twin brother, the nation that came from Esau. Look at verses 6 through 8. Then Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Sound familiar? Esau is Edom. All right. So as we talk about the judgment on the Edomites, keep in mind, that's where they come from. These are all the descendants of Esau. Now, Edom was being judged for many wrongs, and you're going to see that in our study tonight, as far as we get. But Ezekiel speaks of their taking vengeance on Israel. If you remember, the brothers were fighting in the womb. You remember that? We also know that Esau was coming out to kill his brother at a certain period. The nation of Edom was forever seeking vengeance upon Israel. But the Edomites not only rejoiced when the Babylonians attacked and destroyed Jerusalem, they killed many who tried to escape to their land. Remember how we just read that when God brings the judgment on Moab, the Jews are to welcome and to to, to save them and spare them in the process because God's going to restore the fortune to Moabites, whoever turns to him. Well, when the Jews were running from Jerusalem in the judgment of the Babylonian attack, Some of them ran into Edom. Guess what the Edomites did? Killed them. Go to Psalm 137. Listen to Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there are captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. They're mocking them. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, How they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Now you say, wait a minute, why would David write that? David didn't write this. Remember, David wasn't the only psalmist. And here they're talking about after they were taken into captivity in Babylon and they sat at the waters there. And they wailed and mourned over Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, as they said, I don't want to ever forget Jerusalem. Then they turned and said, Lord, remember the Edomites on that day that Jerusalem was destroyed. And they, what did the the Edomites say when God God, God was judging Jerusalem? Lay it bare. Lay it bare. Go to Lamentations chapter 4. If you don't know where Lamentations is, it's right after Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah and he also wrote Lamentations, one of his most cheerful books. <laughs> Jeremiah, Lamentations chapter 4, look at verses 21 and 22. I'm sorry, 21, 22 and 23. 22 and 23. Well, then I was right. 21 and 22 was right. I I, I had the wrong page. I was on the wrong chapter. 21 and 22. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover. Your sins. Now, when you read the cup is going to pass, we think, oh, they're going to be spared. No, remember back in the prophecy in Jerusalem, uh, Jeremiah, we saw last week how God told him to give this cup of his wrath to all the nations. And he had the Israelites drink first and then all the nations of the earth are going to drink it. That's what he's talking about. The cup's going to pass to you and you're going to have to drink it. And he's going to judge them all because of their sins. Go to Amos chapter one. By the way, if you're getting a little weary of the scriptures, you better take a vitamin. Because I was telling Nicole tonight at dinner, there's going to be a lot of scriptures. And she taught a Sunday school class for her Sunday school class uh, Sunday. And she goes, did you have 16 passages? Because I had 16 passages in my Sunday school class. And I said, well, let me check. And I pulled out my notes and I counted 20 something passages. So she's getting there. She's getting there. Amos chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. But because he pursued his brother with the sword, and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever, so I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. So why, is, why are they being judged here? Why is Edom being judged here? Because he's always kept his wrath toward Who? Toward Israel, toward his brother. Folks, you know the scripture is very, very clear that we are to love all people, but especially the scripture says those who are of the household of faith. Let me just say to you, whoever's listening, either here in the room or online, if you have a problem with your brother, you need to go get it fixed. The Bible is very, very clear that if you want to go worship the Lord, but you got an issue with your brother, you leave the gift at the altar and you go make it right with your brother because you're wasting your time thinking you're worshiping because God knows your heart. And don't give me this. Well, you have to forgive someone after they ask. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus was on the cross and no one was saying, forgive us. Yet he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny you even know me, but I've already prayed for you. I've already prayed for your forgiveness. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. Don't sit back and think, well, I'll forgive when they ask me to forgive them. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. You forgive them whether they ever respond to it. As far as it lies with you, live at peace with everyone. And God keeps track of your heart toward your brothers. And Jim, it's amazing that, that it's the Holy Spirit because in and of ourselves we can't forgive. But when we ask God to, to give that forgiveness to the other, exactly. it's amazing. When we ask the Lord to, okay, you want me to forgive my brother? I can't, but you live within me and you'll empower me to do everything you ask me to do. Lord, give me that heart and he will, folks. You ask him and you believe it, he will. He'll give you a heart of forgiveness. Edom was uh, to be judged, like I said, for many, many wrongs. Once again, Jeremiah 2 prophesied against the similar land that Ezekiel did. Go to Jeremiah chapter 49 and start in verse 7. I don't know if anybody's caught it yet. As we continue to look at the judgment on the Gentile nations, Isaiah prophesies about these exact nations. Jeremiah prophesies against these exact nations. Ezekiel, Amos, you're going to see Obadiah tonight. Folks, if you look at a map, And look at the Gentile nations that are described as being judged in the prophecies. They're the ones all right around the nation of Israel right now. Psalm 80. Actually, it's Psalm 83. Psalm 83. All right. But we won't get to that one tonight. That's not even on the list. (laughs) Look at Jeremiah 40, uh, 49, verse 7. Concerning Edom. Is wisdom no more in Teman? Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has their wisdom vanished? Flee, turn back, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Dedan. For I will bring calamity of esau the calamity of Esau upon him, the time when I punish him. If grape gatherers came to you, would they not least leave gleanings? If thieves came by night, would they not de- destroy only enough for themselves? But I have stripped Esau bare. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about Edom. It's the same. God's tied it all the way back. I have uncovered his hiding places, and he is not able to conceal himself. His children are destroyed, and his brothers and his neighbors, and he is no more. Leave your fatherless children. I will keep them alive, and let your widows trust in me. For thus says the Lord, if those who do not deserve to drink the cup must drink it, will you go unpunished? You shall not go unpunished, but you must drink. For I have sworn by myself, declares the Lord, that Basra shall become a horror, a taunt, a waste, and a curse, and all her cities shall be perpetual wastes. I have heard a message from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent among the nations. Gather yourselves together, and come against her, and raise up for battle. For behold, I will make you small among the nations, despised among mankind. The horror you inspire has deceived you, and the pride of your heart, you who live in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill. Though you make your nest as high as the eagles, I will bring you down from there, declares the Lord. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified, and will hiss because of all its disasters as when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown says the Lord no man shall dwell there no man shall sojourn in her behold like a lion coming upon up from the jungle of the Jordan against the perennial pasture I will suddenly make him run away from her and I will appoint over her whomever I choose for who is like me who will summon me what shepherd can stand before me therefore hear the plan that the Lord has made against Edom and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Teman even the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their folds shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of, the, of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of the cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Behold, one shall mount up like and fly swiftly like an eagle and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the, the, the warriors of Edom shall be in that day like the heart of a woman in her birth pains. Now, let me just say something to you to give you a little chance to take a breath. Because this gets a little bit tough, doesn't it? Hearing all this judgment, 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 judgment. If you even still struggle with trying to figure out the timing and all that stuff, don't get caught up in all that. But listen to this. If God's word, and I haven't given you all of it, if God's word so clearly says that there is a judgment coming on the whole world, we must not believe the people today that are saying If we would just all get together, everything will become good. Do you understand? What are we hearing among the nations? Peace and safety. If we would just get together, if the United States would stop being a a renegade nation and just join in with the rest of us, if everybody would just get... We are going to bring in a new world order, and everything is going to be great. Listen, either they're lying... Or God's lying. So whether you understand the full timing of these prophecies and how it's all going to play out and whether or not the Jews are going to be involved or whether or not the other nations are going to be involved in the judgments on these nations, don't get so caught up in that that you miss this. If God says this much that he's bringing a judgment on all the nations, it's going to happen. It's coming. It has to. So don't get sucked into all the hype. That's out there today. Now Isaiah. Has a prophecy too about Edom. His is a little bit cryptic. Go to Isaiah 21. Look at verses 11 and 12. By the way Duma as you're about to see. Is in the land of Edom. The oracle concerning Duma. One is calling to me from Seir. Watchman, what time of the night? Watchman, what time of the night? The watchman says morning comes and also the night. If you will inquire, inquire. Come back again. Somebody want to get up, stand up, and give us an interpretation of this? It's a toughie, isn't it? Well, let me try to explain it to you. This prophecy was during an Assyrian attack on Edom. Keep this in mind. Remember, Isaiah prophesied before Jeremiah did. Jeremiah prophesied and then overlapping in Jeremiah's prophecy, Ezekiel began to prophesy while they were captive in Babylon. During Isaiah's prophecy, and he prophesied mostly to the northern kingdom, the Assyrians were attacking the Edomites at this time. And they're going through a time of night. It was dark because the Assyrians were attacking Edom. And the question to the watchman is, what time of the night? In other words, how, how, how far are we into the night? In other words, how much longer is this Syrian attack? Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? They're saying, watchman, how far into the night are we? What's the time of the night? How much longer the darkness? The watchman, again, what, how much longer the darkness of the Assyrian attack? The watchman says, morning will come soon. In other words... The Assyrian attack will be over. But also, the night's coming again right after that. Did you catch that? That's referring to the Babylonian attack. Like I told you earlier, the prophecies were saying to Moab and to Edom, you're going to be spared. There's going to be a remnant of your people left over after the Assyrian attack. But no promises like that during the Babylonian attack. And they became no longer a nation after the Babylonian attack. So if you're going to inquire, go ahead and inquire, but you might want to come back again because you're going through an attack now. It's going to soon come to an end, but then the darkness is going to come again because the judgment of the Babylonians is going to come not long after that. Remember, the Babylonians took over the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians took over even more. All right. So we see here that there's a prophecy about the Assyrian attack, but a hint at the Babylonian attack. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. But there's more. Go to Malachi chapter 1. This one's kind of cool. And this is very crucial for us. We need to really get Malachi. Because remember, Malachi is the last prophecy of the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, talking to Israel, says the Lord. But you say, Israel says, how have you loved us? And then God says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to the jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build. But I will tear them tear down and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So God says to Israel, I love you. And Israel says, well, how have you loved us? We don't feel very loved. <laughs> you you've been kind of rough on us. And he says, don't you remember how I chose you over your brother? I chose you. To make my name and my people through you, not Esau. And don't you realize how I have judged Esau and laid them waste? They're not a people anymore. They've been assimilated into the Arabian people. They're not even a nation. Oh, but if Edom says we'll rebuild, tell them good luck. Because I will be angry with that nation forever. By the way, I don't know if you all caught this. Jeremiah, at the end of his prophecy to Ammon, said but I'll restore the fortunes of the Ammonites in the latter days. And he says to the people of Moab, but I'll restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days. Did anybody read Jeremiah saying, but I'll restore the fortunes of Edom in the latter days? No, they won't be. They won't be. They will be judged forever. By the way, you may not even know it. And this is what's really kind of interesting. There's actually more prophecy in the book of Ezekiel about the Edomites. And we got nine minutes and only two pages left, so we're, we're, I think we might make it. Go to Ezekiel 35. Ezekiel 35, verses 1 through 15. Ezekiel wasn't even done prophesying against Edom. Ezekiel 35, look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, that's Edom, And prophesy against it and say to it, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste and you shall become a desolation and you shall know that I am the Lord because you cherished perpetual enmity. That's what you were just saying. You have cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity at the time of their final punishment. By the way, has Israel re- received their final punishment yet? No. Oh. So somehow, some way, the Edomites are going to be complicit in whatever happens to Israel when the Antichrist goes after them. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation. I'll cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines. Those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation and your city shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you said these two nations and these two countries shall be mine. That's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And we will take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and the envy that you showed because of your hired your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them. And when I judge you and you shall know that I am the Lord, I have heard all the revilings that you uttered against the nation. I'm sorry, the mountains of Israel saying they are laid desolate. They are given to us to devour. <coughs> Excuse me. And when you magnified, you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me, I heard it. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate as you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate. So I will deal with you and you shall be desolate. Mount Seir and all Edom, all of it. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This prophecy is not yet to be fulfilled, folks. This is going to happen at the time of Israel's final punishment. <clears throat> was God punishing and judging Israel because of their sin in the Babylonian captivity? Sure. But was he done judging them? No. He allowed them back into the land. There was more consequences. And then, remember how, Jer- uh, sorry, I, uh, it'll come back to me. John the Baptist preached. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. His threshing, his, uh, his winnowing fork is in his hand. There was still more judgment. For the nation of Israel, of course, they were sent into captivity uh, and they were scattered in in, 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 uh, in AD seventy. And they were not a people in the land for a long, long time. But in 1948, what did he do? He allowed them back into the land. And they, but there's still another com- coming judgment still. And the Bible says that somehow, some way, the Edomites are going to be a part of helping when that judgment comes against them. Don't try to figure it out. Just know that. Keep it in your mind. <coughs> now. Look closely at verse 5 and verse 14 one more time. That's the time of their final punishment. And while the whole earth rejoices. That hadn't happened yet, has it? Nope, it's coming. How in the world could the whole earth rejoice if one nation on one side of the earth gets judged? We know now, don't we? Let's go to one more book. Obadiah. Now, if someone asks me what chapter, you've never read Obadiah. Actually, as you're about to see in the time we have left tonight, Obadiah's whole prophecy is about Edom. And listen to it. The vision of Obadiah. Edom. Sorry, my heading says Edom will be humbled. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise up against her for battle. So a messenger has been sent to who? The nations. Let's go against Edom. And you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock and your lofty dwelling. You say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is among the, set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if blunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed, would they not steal only enough for themselves? Does that not sound familiar? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, again, end times words, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them, but do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the land of the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. By the way, all that stuff is what they did when Babylon came in and destroyed Jerusalem. For the day of the Lord is near near upon all the nations. Let me read that again. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. By the way, that's drinking of the wrath, the cup of the wrath of God. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau stubble and they shall burn them and consume them. And there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau and those of Shephelah, Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines and they shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria and Benjamin shall possess Gilead the exile of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the, the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sephared shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Here we see at the end that Israel is going to get all that land. Now, as we close tonight, I want to show you Ezekiel 25, verse 14, and Obadiah 17, And 18, all right? Look back at Ezekiel 25, verse 14. In verse 14, in the judgment against Edom, God says, And I will lay my vengeance upon Edom by whose hand? By the hand of my people Israel. Don't forget that the Jews that run in the tribulation period away from the Antichrist will run to Basra. And there they're going to be protected. And remember from our study of Revelation, that's where Jesus comes back. And from that point there, defeats his enemies all the way to the battle of Armageddon, all the way to Jerusalem. And he's going to be using God's going to be doing it. But the people of Israel will be with him. Look at again at Obadiah, verses 17 and 18. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. That's Jews. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble, and they shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So somehow, some way, when God brings this judgment, the Jews are going to be there when it happens, as they begin to take possession of all that God has for them as he restores their fortune. The short version tonight, folks, is this. Pray for the people of Israel. You better be pro, 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 pro Israel. And pray that our nation even becomes more pro-Israel than they are because I honestly believe that's the only thing keeping us alive now. Hey, I love you. I'll see you in a couple of weeks.